Thanks so much for joining me on this bonus week of Heroes of Our Faith. I hope that this class has been beneficial for you and your connection group. So have you ever been excited to meet someone? Have you ever been maybe excited to meet a newborn baby or a famous person or someone on a blind date? Or maybe you're the person who's super excited to introduce your best friend to someone or you're excited to introduce your new fiance to someone. Well, today I am excited to introduce someone to you. What if I were to tell you that this person I'm going to introduce you to is one of the most influential women in my life, aside from my mom and my grandma and a few other mentors in my life. This woman has influenced me beyond measure. And it is my pleasure today to introduce you to Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot is a woman who is known for her speaking and writing. She's written over 40 books in her lifetime and now i have never gotten the privilege of listening to her teach live but i've listened to hours and hours of her teaching and her podcasts i've read many of her books and she has taught me so much in life she's taught me a lot about suffering and what it looks like to suffer well for the glory of god and she's walked me through a lot of trials in my life and i'm so excited to, to share just a little bit about her with you. So many know Elizabeth by her widowhood, which might sound a little bit strange, but um, Elizabeth was married to Jim Elliott, who was martyred for his faith on the mission field in Ecuador. But there's much more to learn about Elizabeth other than that. So let's start at the beginning. Elizabeth Elliott was born on December 21st, 1926, uh, to a missionary family, actually, in Brussels, Belgium. So she was um, born overseas, and shortly after she was born, her family moved back to Philadelphia and moved into a small home there, and she grew up in this Christian home. The Christian home was filled with, with kids, and it was full of structure. Her dad loved a structured home. But in their home, they also were a very hospitable family. They would host a lot of missionaries on their furlough or just have them over for dinner. And so Elizabeth grew up seeing a lot of missionaries come through their, ha their house. And one couple specifically, uh, Betty and John Stam, came to her house when she was really young and ate dinner with them and they shared a lot of stories about their missions work in Asia and then they went back to the mission field and a few weeks later Elizabeth picked up the newspaper and on the front of the on the front of the newspaper it said that these missionaries had been beheaded and this marked her forever it didn't scare her from the work of missions but it actually fanned a flame in her to go do the same work so Elizabeth went to boarding school at about the age of 14 and then went on to college at Wheaton <clears throat> where she learned about the Lord and she was mentored by many wonderful women there. And one day a speaker came to Wheaton and this speaker was from Wycliffe. Now Wycliffe is a Bible translators college and he spoke about pioneer missionaries. Now what a pioneer missionary is, is someone who goes to an unreached people group, 
and this person helps them create a written language. So it's not only an unreached people group, it's also a people group who doesn't have a written language. So Pioneer Missionary comes and helps them form a written language and then translate the Bible into their new written language. Elizabeth heard about this and decided that this is what the Lord was calling her to do. Now, when I use the word calling, what I mean is that God had given her an unshakable and unique burden for her to do with her life. So she decided that's what she wanted to do, but first she needed to finish college. So while she was finishing college, she met a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Now, Jim Elliott was strong and a godly man. He was a go-getter. He was always doing things, and all the girls in the college swooned over him, but he didn't date any of them because he was so extremely focused and wanted to just do what he was there to do. He was so focused that even some people said he was too spiritual in his disciplines. But as a senior, they both got to know each other and started spending more time together and they realized that they had feelings for one another. And so as their senior year drew to a close, they had a conversation and Jim decided it would be better for them to go their separate ways and serve the Lord as missionaries single rather than married because he thought that if they were married, he would have more of a hindrance than a help. Could you imagine what heartbreaking news for a young woman to hear her senior year? But they went their separate ways, each pursuing missions, and they continued to write to each other as they pursued their missions work. Elizabeth thought that she was headed somewhere in Africa, and Jim had his heart set on going to Ecuador and ministering to the, the people in Ecuador. Hopefully, he was hoping to reach the unreached tribes there in Ecuador. So through many twists and turns of life, Elizabeth ended up on the mission field in Ecuador as well. Jim was on one side of Ecuador uh, ministering to the Quechua Indians in Shandia, and Elizabeth was on the other side of Ecuador ministering to the Colorado tribe. And they still wrote letters back and forth. Sometimes they would get the letters and sometimes they wouldn't because jungle mail doesn't always get there and it's slower than most male, but they still kept in touch. And that year that Elizabeth served the Colorado tribe came to be one of the hardest years of her life. She had at least four very hard trials. And the first one was when she got to the Colorado tribe, she realized that she needed an informant. Now, what an informant is, is when you go to a tribe that you wanna be a pioneer missionary, you want to write, you want to make the language into a written language, right? So you're going to need someone who's gonna help you. And that's what an informant is. This informant needed to know the Colorado language and a language that Elizabeth knew. And she searched high and low and could not find someone until finally she found a man by the name of Don Marchio who knew Colorado and he knew Spanish, which Elizabeth was fluent in Spanish. So they began working and they worked night and day. They, they worked hours upon hours learning the language and writing it down. She had notebooks and flashcards and everything. So that was part of her ministry was learning the language. And another part was ministering to the women and getting to know them. She was trying in every way to show them God's love and convey love to them through action and the few words that she knew in their language. 
And one night she was woken up by a man who was desperate for help. He woke her up and he said, I need help, I need help, come quickly. So she came quickly with him and found that his wife was dying in childbirth. She was giving birth to one of their children and she was hemorrhaging. And so Elizabeth did everything she could to try to help her, to try to save her life, but she couldn't. She couldn't save this woman's life and this woman ended up dying right before Elizabeth. And just a week later, this sweet little newborn baby died of starvation. And Elizabeth just could not understand. This was just one of the tragic stories that she witnessed in the tribe that year. And this is what she said. The effect on me of these deaths, a woman I had hardly seen before and a tiny scrap of an infant would not have been so profound. I suppose if we had had many distractions in our life in San Miguel, that's where they lived. But life was a long, slow wait with world enough time for reflection. And I know now that that was what I needed. Missionary work of all vocations required a sinewy faith. Maruja's death produced a tremor in my foundations. If God had actually wanted us here at all, if we knew how to pray, if in fact he was concerned with the salvation of this family, would he not have spared the mother and child? Those are hard questions that she was wrestling with. And I love that phrase, missionary, faith, missionary work of all vocations requires a sinewy faith. These trials were forming in her a more muscular faith that she needed. She didn't understand what, what was happening or why it was happening, but she continued. And she continued to work with Don Marchio in translating their language and learning their language and writing it down. And they're making a lot of progress until one night she heard gunshots and she ran outside to see that Don Marchio had been murdered. Her only informant of the language now lay dead before her in the grass and all of her hard work stopped with a halt. Again, questions of what is God doing? Why is he doing this rattled in her brain? If he was truly God and in control, why would he allow this? After this, there were two more trials that she walked through and one of them actually included Jim. So Jim was on the other side of the jungle serving God in Shandia and Elizabeth, part of her responsibilities was to, um, to work the radios. And so sometimes they would radio to other missionaries to give them updates or even weather updates, things that would help them out. And this day, as she was working the radio, she heard Jim's voice come over the radio and say that the mission aviation station that he was working on, he had built five buildings over the last year at this station. All five buildings had washed down the river, the Napo River, in a flash flood. He had to start all of his work again. Oh, that would be so disappointing. <clears throat> the last trial that Elizabeth faced in that year was actually while she was away. She traveled a little bit and she had entrusted her suitcase full of all of her language work um, to another missionary. And in this suitcase, you can imagine there's, you know, papers and notebooks and flashcards and lots of detailed work of this language that she was learning and writing. And while she was gone, the suitcase was stolen. Nine months worth of work stolen. They were gone. 
There's no computers in the jungle. There were no copiers. There was nothing to keep those things safe. They were all handwritten and it was all gone. What on earth was God doing? Why? She could not understand. And this is what she said. God answered my why with trust me. No explanations, just trust me. I had to leave it in God's hands and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't like it, but I have two choices. He's either God or he's not. I'm either held in the everlasting arms or I'm at the mercy of chance and I have to trust him or deny him. There's no middle ground. And at the end of the first year, this hard, hard year, there was one bright shining moment. Elizabeth saw a messenger coming to the Colorado village with a telegram from Jim. And the telegram says, I will be in Quito on Friday. Come meet me there. Her heart leapt. Could this be the point? Could this be the moment? Had he changed his mind? Was he gonna propose? So she packed up her things, hopped on a banana truck because that's how they got from one city to another, rode on the back of a banana truck for 10 hours to make it to Quito to meet Jim there. And God had in fact changed Jim's mind and Jim proposed. And he asked her to marry her and said, one thing that you need to do before we get married is you need to learn the Quechua language of the people that he was serving in order that they could serve together faithfully. So she went back, studied this language as hard as she could, learned the language, and they got married. And she moved to live with him in Shandia to minister to the Quechua tribe. Now this tribe was neighboring to another tribe that they were hoping to eventually one day meet and that was the Aka Indians. So their first year, they lived a delightful first year, learning how to be newlyweds, new married couple, and also learning how to live together and live together in a jungle that was filled with spiders and bats and deadly snakes, but they were still the happiest newlyweds you could imagine. They had waited for five years to get married, and now they were finally together. The Lord had blessed them. And God blessed them later with a daughter named Valerie, and they thought this is just the beginning of a wonderful life together. They had dreams of having a large family and serving in Ecuador for many years together. Now the Indians that Jim was hoping to reach were called the Aka Indians before anyone had met them. This is the name given to them. And this name actually means savage or barbarian. And this term was used because anyone who came in contact with any of the members of this tribe, whether it was intentional contact or unintentional happened upon them in the jungle, no one lived to speak of it. They killed every one of an outsider that they met. They also killed people within their tribe. They were a very, um, angry, malicious tribe, and they killed everyone with spears. Now this term Aka that other people were using for this tribe is actually a derogatory term. And their true name of their tribe, which Jim found out later once he met them, the name that they call themselves is Warani tribe. And so we're gonna use that term uh, for the rest of this video, just out of respect for the people. They are the Warani Indians, the Warani tribe, and they were known for malicious killings and a primitive lifestyle. But yet, Jim and the four other men that he was working with 
They didn't see them as this. That's how the world saw them. They saw them as lost people who needed the good news of Jesus. Ellen Vaughn says it this way, but the five men did not go to them, the Warani tribe, for profit, fame, or ignorant cultural imperialism, but simply because they knew that Jesus offered the people eternal life in heaven and a new nonviolent way of living here on God's green earth. Good news for free. So these five men began planning, how could they reach the Warani people? What did they need to do in order to reach them? So the first idea and the first thing that they started doing was they started flying an airplane low over where they lived, over their village, and dropping gifts onto them and to help them see that they wanted good, they wanted a good standing with them. So they dropped gifts for a while until it seemed like it was going well. And then they moved closer and they landed on this sand barge that was just outside their village and waited for someone to come meet them. And eventually two women and one man came and met them at this sand barge and they had a good meeting. They, they were able to eat together and try to communicate with one another, even though there's the language barrier and it went well. And they actually radioed to their wives and said, hey, we just met the first Warani Indians. It went really well, we're, things are looking up. And so they stayed there on the sand barge waiting for another day and another meeting. But that day never came. On January 8th, a group of Warani men waded up the river and through the jungles and ambushed all five men. All men were speared to death, all because of a simple misunderstanding. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, Roger Yardarian, five heroes who lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. They left behind wives and children. And it took days for the, the news of their death to make its way to all five wives. And when Elizabeth heard <clears throat> of the loss of her husband, she of course was grieved. She had waited for five years to marry Jim and they were only married for two years and three months. Let that sink in. They were only married for two years. What would she do now? What would you do if you were in a foreign country with your small infant? What would you do? Would you go home? What would you do? She stayed. And not only did she stay, but through lots of different miracles and a hand of God, you can read that later and how he worked out all the details. She actually moved and lived with the Warani Indians, with another missionary woman. She lived with the people. She lived in and among the people who speared her husband to death. And not only that, she was able to lead the men who speared her husband to the Lord. I can't think of a more gracious, forgiving gospel picture than this. Can you? Elizabeth's story doesn't end there. She stayed in the Warani tribe for several years and ministered to them and led many to the Lord. Her life is marked by faithfulness and by obedience to the Lord. And after several years, she moved back to the States with Valerie 
and she began writing. She began writing about what she saw in the jungle and the years that she spent there. And she ended up meeting a man by the name of Addison Leach. He was a professor and a speaker and they fell in love and got married. They were so happily married and they ministered so well together, speaking and writing together. But after four short years of marriage, Addison Leach died of cancer. Elizabeth was a widow once again. What was God doing? Elizabeth continued writing and teaching for God's glory and she spoke a lot about suffering and how to walk through suffering. She also spoke a lot about uh, obeying God's will. And later on, she met another man by the name of Lars Grin and she ended up marrying him and he traveled with her a lot on all of her speaking engagements and writing and lived a faithful life. So what do we learn from Elizabeth? That was really fast overview of her life. You can read her books to learn more, but what do we learn from Elizabeth? What have I learned from Elizabeth? She has taught me so much, it's hard to narrow it down, but there's three things that I wanna share today. One is Elizabeth was grounded in the word of God. Two, she was obedient to the will of God. And three, she was faithful to endure the work of God. She was grounded in the word, obedient to the will of God, and faithful to endure the work God had set out for her to do. She was grounded in the word. I don't know of a woman who is more bold and courageous and truth-filled than Elizabeth Elliot. She spoke with so much courage and truthfulness. She was rooted and grounded and her foundation was secure. No matter what happened, she was secure in her identity and who she was in Christ. Some people might say she was even harsh or brash when she talked. And I think that's because she was so rooted in who she was and rooted in God's word that nothing could shake her. If you listen to her talks or listen to her radio program, it wasn't long. It will be just a few minutes in before God's word just comes spilling out of her. Passages like Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. She had the word of God that would just spill out of her. And it what you could tell it's not just in her notes. It was spilling out of her heart. It was always on her lips. She even started her radio program every day with this. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are his everlasting arms. Can you tell? I've listened to it a few times. She was grounded in the truth of God and nothing could move her. It reminds me of the saying, remember in the dark what you've learned in the light. She studied God's word, spent time in God's word in the good times so that she would she was anchored to God in those hard times, in those trials, when the storms of life came. And as she was grounded in God's word, she was invested in God's word. And when someone loves God's word so much, what happens? They want to do it. They want to obey it. And that's the next thing. Elizabeth Elliot was obedient to the will of God. Now, when I say the will of God, what is that? What, how do you determine the will of God? This is a whole nother talk for another day. And so I actually uh, share a link to a paper that Jake wrote about discerning the will of God in the link to this video. So you can read that. But 
the will of God, she determined, she understood that God has specific things in his word that he calls us all to do, to obey. And then he also gives us unique, unshakable burdens for things that we have a God's will to do. So that's a whole nother topic. And Jake writes some great things on that in the, in the paper, but she wrote this in her journal. She says, where he leads me, I will follow. And she also said, if a duty is clear, the dangers surrounding it are irrelevant. She had a fierce love for God that caused her to obey no matter what the cost. She quotes a prayer by Amy Carmichael a lot and even wrote it in the front of her journals. And it says this, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to thee, to be thine forever. So she was obedient to God's will. And lastly, she faithfully endured the work God had set out for her. She persevered. If you know anything about Elizabeth, like I shared before, she spoke a lot about suffering. And I think it's because she had walked through a lot of suffering. If anyone can talk about suffering, it's Elizabeth Elliot. She suffered a lot in her life. She lost two husbands. One husband was traumatically, tragically killed in a brutal death, and the other one died a very slow, painful death of cancer that she had to watch. <clears throat> she struggled with questions after this. She struggled with depression and doubts. She had loneliness. She, she had longings. Think about, she was single more years of her life than she was married. She had struggles just like you and me. She walked through marital problems. She walked through persecution. She suffered, yet she faithfully endured. She didn't give up or give in to the lies that Satan was trying to tell her. And she would often say, suffering is never for nothing. God will use our suffering for his good and his glory. So she suffered and she suffered well. Now, when you say someone suffers well, what does that mean? Well, they suffer so that others can see the glory of God through their life. When someone suffers well, you look to what they're anchored to and what they're looking at. And Elizabeth's sufferings draw our attention to her anchor in God's word and her eyes were fixed on Jesus. Elizabeth didn't die like her first husband, Jim, a martyr. She didn't die like Polycarp or Perpetua and Felicity in front of a lot of people in an arena. No, she faithfully lived a long life and died a slow, quiet death of Alzheimer's. At an old age, on June 15, 2015, a hero went home to be with the Lord. You see, heroes aren't heroes based on how they die. Heroes are heroes based on how they live. And Elizabeth Elliot faithfully lived a life for the glory of God. She was grounded in God's word. She was obedient to his will and faithfully endured through every season that God had for the glory of God. So as we wrap up heroes of our faith, think about the people that we've walked through and learned about in this class. Think about Polycarp, Perpetua and Felicity, Gregory the Great, Katharina von Bora, George Lyle, and now Elizabeth Elliot, what do they all have in common? They were grounded in faith. They were all so faith-filled. 
They were dependent in prayer. They were passionate in the word and faithful through trials. Let me say that again. When you look at these people, they had some things in common. They were grounded in faith. They were faithful in prayer. If you look at all their prayer lives, they were so dependent on the Lord in prayer. They were passionate in the word and sharing the word with other people. And they were faithful through trials. May we be spurred on by their lives to live faithful lives in courage and total dependence on God. My prayer is that this class has been fruitful for you. Thank you so much for taking it with us.